peace to you, and welcome to a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sign up for weekly digital content at richfieldumc.org. Subscribe, share, and get out there with Jesus to heal a broken world. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a good experience. This is the sermon podcast for the traditional worship service on September 22nd, 2019. The sermon title is You and You and Who, and it's part three of a seven-part worship series called The Neighborhood. The preacher is from your pastor, Nate Melcher, and the scripture is Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In today's reading, we're going to be very briefly introduced to two names that might be familiar to us, the apostles Stephen and Philip, and we'll hear more about them in the weeks to come. But here in this short scene, we're going to see how they're chosen to serve, under what circumstances, and we also witness the laying on of hands as they're blessed for their ministry. Here now from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we for our part will devote ourselves to prayer and to the serving of the word. What they said pleased the whole community, And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you look at this photo, you see a dot. Do you see the dot? I'll use this red dot to circle this little pale blue dot. So here's a quote from Carl Sagan. If you look at this photo, you see a dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever lived, lived out their lives. The aggregate of all of our joys and sufferings, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilizations, every king and every peasant, every young couple in love, every hopeful child, every mother and father, every inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. That's from astronomer Carl Sagan at Cornell University on a speech just one month shy of 25 years ago on October 13, 1994. This photo was taken by NASA at his request from the uh, Voyager 1 satellite, from the Voyager program. And as it left our solar system, it turned to take one last photo of Earth. So this probe launched September 5th, 1977, and they thought, well, it's going to work to Saturn. So we're going to have great photos through Saturn and its big moon Titan, and then we we don't think it's going to work, but it kept working. 
It went throughout the whole solar system, and it passed Saturn in 1980, and that's when Carl Sagan said, it looks like it's going to keep going. How about before it leaves our neighborhood, it turns around and takes a photo of our neck of the woods, get a family photo of all these planets. So he had this idea for the photo, but there are problems to work out. There were a lot of logistics. How can we be sure that we can take care of this right in front of us when we also want the mission to go far, far away and let it continue? They had to work out logistics. If, if it turns, will it disrupt anything? It goes off course and it can't keep on its trajectory. If it turns the wrong way, will the sun hit the camera in a way that burns into the uh, lens so we won't get any more photos? So they had to figure out the logistics for the this to get to the that. And after that, the kinks laid out, worked out, 10 years later, on February 14th, 1990, this photo was taken. And of the 640,000 pixels, all the little dots that make up a photograph, of 640,000 pixels, less than one pixel is our pale blue dot. The soaring sense of discovery and humility is in this very spiritual image. Now, many of us are maybe more familiar with this version of Earth, this close-up image of Earth. Ah, there it is. I, I recognize this. Hey, look, I can see my house from here. There you go. Now, now here's the neighborhood, home for all 7.7 .7 billion of our neighbors and counting. To get a little more specific, here is... 5835 Lindell Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55419. Here's Richfield United Methodist Church, and about uh, two or three miles, I can't remember, a few miles surrounding our campus, where we are right now. In life, we often need to think big, and to think big, we need to think small. At least as a church, we think smaller for spreading the word of God. Now, I don't know who's going to be the first interstellar missionary and I'm not necessarily volunteering to be the first evangelist of the cosmos. I don't think that's going to be my job. For now, let's just focus on the streets in our neighborhood, and we can tackle space another day. The story of Acts of the Apostles, it sees the early church have to slow down to think small in order to support the greater, wider, expansive mission of spreading the word of God. So the group is growing, the disciples are growing. Remember, we've talked about a disciple is a student of the word, the apostle is the witness or the teacher of the word. The 12 are now apostles, but they're gaining more disciples. It's growing, and now there's concern amongst the Hellenists that their widows are being neglected during daily food distribution. So who are the Hellenists? Do they like mayonnaise? Is that what that means? I don't know. No, uh, the Hellenists, those are Greek-speaking Jews. So they're Jews from all over the place. They had their generational roots in those who were cast out during the Babylonian exile. See, about 600 years before this moment, uh, Israel is conquered by Babylon, one of many conquerings, but this was a particularly bad one. Because when Babylon moves into your neighborhood, they kill a whole bunch of you, they enslave a whole bunch of you, and the rest of you, they just say, get out of here. We don't need you around here. And so you're scattered. And so these Jews are oppressed and then scattered, and they have the great Jewish diaspora. Now the next conquerors come in, and they say, okay, we've conquered Babylon. You can come back, but it's not quite the same. They've been influenced by all the different cultures they've been a part of, and there's still a lot of pain going on. 
So these Jews here, who are the Hellenists, these are Greek-speaking Jews who have been influenced by Greek Hellenistic culture from wherever they were in the diaspora, and now here they are joining the Hebrews, which the folks who have been very influenced by their own Jewish roots because they never necessarily left, and they're all becoming Jewish Christians together. They all got there to the same place, but they all took a different street to get there. So they're all for the mission of the church. Spread the word of God, that's great, but it's hard to do that when you're hungry and it's hard to do that when you watch the most vulnerable suffer. And who are the most vulnerable? Well, in this passage, it specifically mentions the widows of their community. That's who they name as the most vulnerable and neglected. It was a patriarchal time. Unmarried or widowed women had the least social power, the least social standing, the least money or means by which to be economically independent. And they did not have a lot of independence to be seen for their value as a fellow human being. Now, thank goodness, everyone is treated 100% equal now, right? Yeah? We're working on it, sisters. Now, different people are coming together for a common cause, but not everyone is receiving the right amount of attention. There's no excuse for this, okay? This situation, it has to be taken care of here and now. And so to the apostles' credit, they don't ignore it, and they don't argue and bicker and play the blame game. They just say, let's just come up with some solutions. And so they say, therefore, friends, select among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to the task. We'll keep on apostling. You get your team to get this job done. Yes, as a movement, we can do two things at once. So seven men are chosen for this team. And here's something interesting. Their names are Greek names. So these people on the new team might actually be Hellenistic Jews new to this community. It's possible that they're choosing from the new people to represent those who have been left out. Let them be in charge and have a new creative solution. So with this task in hand, the word of God spreads. And this is very important, friends. The disciples grow and many get obedient to faith, but note that the writer is less concerned about church growth than the word of God spreading. And it's right here, friends, if their church loses focus on the greater mission, their church-sized mission won't matter. And this is much like our uh, See All the People homework for the worship series. So over the last few weeks, you've received your little journal that says see all the people on it, and the first week we ask you to please go ahead and devote a page to each neighbor and just jot down what you know about your neighbor. See what you know. The next week I said, can you please go out and meet one of your neighbors and uh, learn something new about them and jot that down there. We're not trying to be creepy about all the information, getting all the gossip, all the juicy dirt. We just want to know, do we know our neighbors? Do they know us? How do we know each other? So I've been asking folks to do that, not just to fill the time in the sermon, by the way, I think this is important. So I'm curious, how'd you do? Anything new? Can you keep it up this week? Or can you start this week? As we try to spread the word of God and grow the church and grow in our own faith, a good place to start with growth is in how we know the neighbors around us. See, I want to live out the big picture concept of sharing Jesus in my big neighborhood, but if I can't start with knowing my neighbors, 
right? If I can't learn a few names, if I can't jot down a handful of fun facts, if I'm a stranger to my own neighbor on the pale blue dot, the big picture doesn't happen. Knowing our neighborhood neighbors builds our empathy for our worldwide neighbors. Knowing our neighborhood neighbors builds our empathy for our worldwide neighbors who otherwise run the risk of simply being abstractions instead of people. Now, the apostles need everyone fed. The marginalized need to be heard. The new leaders need to be stepping up and be empowered, and all without spending a whole lot of time and energy on playing the blame game on how the situation got started. For them, now's the time for solutions. Now's the time to act so the word of God can keep spreading. We need to know our people. Stop letting fear marginalize our true ability to engage and to spend our time and energy on getting a real picture of the people around us so we can be part of the big picture of spreading God's love to all whom we encounter. Here's a story for you from uh, a member of our church who uh, last week she definitely earned her evangelism luggage tag. Anybody who writes me or tells me a story about how they engaged their neighbor in a new way, we're giving you a see all the people luggage tag to combat the baggage we have around evangelism. There's a member in the 11 o'clock service whose name is Kay, and she told me that uh, she's been getting to know her neighbors. She's an older member of her congregation, and she's still very proud that she is living in her own home here in South Minneapolis. Uh, but, you know, it gets to that point in life where you've got to decide, are we gonna, am I going to keep living here? Do I need to look for something new? How can I do this well? And one of the things that's helping her do this well is she's gotten to know her neighbors. Over the last few years, she has met and had good relationships with four or five of the people living right near her home who can help her when she's got a crisis or something with her home, needs a little bit of a help. They're the people whom her adult daughter calls her guardian angels. Wouldn't you like to have some guardian angels? Wouldn't you like to be a guardian angel? Now, she told me that story two weeks ago, and then last week, here's how neighborly Kay is. I saw her out when I was with my family at PennFest. So on PennFest, when Richfield closes down all of Penn Avenue, I'm walking there with my kids, and I'm saying hi to my, some of my neighbors around my house, and I turn and look, and there's Kay sitting on the park bench saying hi to me. In fact, I saw at least three or more of the Richfield UMC membership out there amongst my neighbors in Penn Avenue for PennFest. It was so good to see you there. Now this week, while last week people were walking the streets together to have a good time, last, this last week people were walking on the streets for a different reason. So if you've seen in the news, Friday was the climate strike. It was a day of solidarity and protest, and it was created and led by young people. And when I say young people, I don't even mean people in their 20s, I mean people in their teens who are getting help and assistance from people who are adults. But teenagers were leading this movement. Now, you might recall on my July 28th sermon, I mentioned the person who really kickstarted this particular movement, 16-year-old Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg. She's the one who said, uh, I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. And then I want you to act. I want you to act as if you would in a crisis. I want you to act as if the house was on fire, because it is. And friends, the people of the pale blue dot 
heard her and responded. The early estimates are 4 million people around the world in 163 nations and counting went out into their streets to protest and to combat climate change, which affects everybody in our neighborhood. 163 countries. These are countries, by the way, that do not always get along, right? You can probably think of a few off the top of your head that we don't get along with unnecessarily because of national and political policies. These are people who on some other issues would call themselves enemies to each other, but on this issue, they are united, and they're proud to stand up for someone else. Everyone who marched knows the fate of the planet is bigger than themselves or whom is next door. They know them. They know who's next door, and it helps them care for others. When we know our neighborhood neighbors, it helps us build empathy for our worldwide neighbors. People want to live a good life. They want to live it well. That's a great mission. I'm all for it. But it's hard to do that if the temperatures keep rising, if their sea levels keep rising. It's hard to do that when the most vulnerable are suffering. And in the case of humankind having negative impact from climate change, statistically across the globe, it is people of color who are impacted first and most by climate change. Different people are coming together for a common cause, but not everyone is receiving the right amount of attention. There's no excuse for it. So on Friday, my daughter and I were out there at the Capitol with about 6,000 of our closest neighbors in St. Paul, right here on the pale blue dot. And we heard many speakers go up there, and it was really amazing to hear these young people speak. And here's the thing, the vast majority of those who went to the mic were young people of color, and they were uh, not just young people, most of them were teenagers. And all were fired up for solutions moving forward. And I think back to making that team of Hellenistic Jews to look out for the most vulnerable and marginalized in a story from Acts, the people who weren't being heard, now being represented by the people who weren't being heard. And God is selecting from among us several people, young people of good standing, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, and appointing them to the task of waking the rest of us up. God has the most creative solutions, bringing in new people who represent the left out and putting them center stage. We will do well to follow this teen team's example, our young guardian angels, our neighbors. Changing our energy, consuming lifestyle in order to protect our neighbor and preserve our children's planet is the task at hand, and it serves our greater mission. If we lose focus on the greater mission, our church-sized mission won't matter. Voyager 1 launched from our neck of the woods exactly 42 years and 17 days ago. Now, by 2025, the estimates are that its generators will cease to function, and so it will lose all of its mechanical functionality completely. And so uh, it is probably destined, perhaps eternally, to just wander the Milky Way. In about 300,000 years, it'll pass by some other stars really close, though. Now, it's given us a lot, Voyager, but one thing for sure is a beautiful photo. So here's part of the remainder of Carl Sagan's speech from that day uh, many years ago in 1994. 
invite you to look at that pale blue dot as, he, as I recite his words. He says, the earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and in triumph they could become momentarily the masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of the dot on scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner of the dot. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there's no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. It is up to us. It's been said that astronomy is a humbling, and I might add, a character-building experience. And he wraps up with this. To my mind, there's perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly and compassionately with one another and to preserve and cherish that pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. Sagan's compassion for humankind is reflected in that speech. And his delight in using science as a framework for how we might live is infectious. If I disagree with anything in Sagan's speech, it might be on whether or not we have help from beyond ourselves. And yet I do agree that we can't just stand on our heels, friends. The Holy Spirit wants partners, not spectators. Filling our journals to record what we know about those who live around us, that's not just to make Pastor Nate happy. That's not just to get to know those who live near us. It's to build empathy close so we have empathy for those afar. Your homework is to know Jesus, how Jesus, to know others who know Jesus the way that Jesus knows you, to love Jesus as Jesus loves you and them, and to share it. Listen for the voices who cry out for you to know them, empathize with them as neighbors, as human beings, as beloved children of God. May you be moved by the big sweeping picture as God paints us into a brighter future. May you stand with and march side by side with Jesus for justice for your neighbors near and far. And may the empowering strength of the Holy Spirit compel you to hear the voices of the marginalized and find leadership voyaging into tomorrow with wisdom. Jesus has not lost sight of us. Let's not lose sight of Jesus and our neighbors because together, friends, all we've got is the pale blue dot. May it be so, and amen. This has been a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, copyright 2019. Now, go into God's world, knowing that you are a beloved child of God, and bear witness to the love of God, so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you a generous friend. Thanks for listening.